everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories of patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you, and we know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Robert Goldberg, a board-certified pulmonologist in Mission Viejo, California, and we're discussing lung cancer screenings and treatments. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So we're going to get started by welcoming our guest today, Dr. Goldberg. All right. Well, so Dr. Goldberg, can you get us started with an easy one today? Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at Providence. Well, my name is Robert Goldberg. I'm a pulmonary and critical care physician for Mission Heritage Medical Group. We're a medical group that that works primarily at Mission Hospital. As a pulmonologist, I treat various types of lung ailments, including asthma, emphysema, as well as lung cancer. And then as a critical care physician, I deal with all types of illnesses, uh, basically any type of illness where a patient needs to be in the ICU, I will take care of them. I'm guessing you've had a, a pretty big influx of people in the ICU as of the last couple of years with COVID. Yeah, the last 20 months have been fairly busy. Um, we normally have two ICUs at Mission Hospital, one that has 27 beds and one that has 20 beds for a total of 47 um, ICU beds. And normally we're we're pretty loaded, we're pretty full. Um, at one point during COVID, we had uh, five ICUs going. Uh, we had over 100 ICU patients uh, at Mission Hospital at one point. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I know you're, you specialize in the lung cancer situation, but tell me, how did you get into pulmonology? How did you get into lung cancer specialty? Well, I really went into pulmonary medicine because I was interested in critical care. It, frequently when you're getting out of residency as a new graduate uh, physician, uh, you try to see what type of specialty matches what lifestyle you want and how your personality is. And for many of those who go into pulmonary and critical care, it's the critical care, the excitement of critical care that entices the individual. Likewise, for me, I really enjoyed critical care and I sort of added on pulmonary as my second specialty because they come together, they go together. Uh, the training is a pulmonary and critical care training program. Um, but then as I learned more and more about pulmonary, I enjoyed it more. I, I really was enjoyed uh, treating those patients with asthma and emphysema, helping them to breathe better. Uh, but I really wasn't as interested in lung cancer. I was semi-interested in it in that it is a significant issue. But it, we didn't have many good treatments, but more uh, lately, we've been having better treatments. We're having better success treating these patients, and we're having better ways, easier ways to be able to biopsy these patients and get the answer for them. I think people, as soon as we say lung cancer, people start wondering, how common is it? I mean, is it is it growing? Are we seeing more of it? Is it being diagnosed more frequently? What's the skinny on that? So lung cancer doesn't get a lot of publicity. You don't see it uh, as much as frequently as you see other cancers, for instance, 
breast cancer or colon cancer, but lung cancer is the number one killer of all cancers. In fact, lung cancer kills more patients, people a year than the next three uh, breast, prostate, and colon cancer combined. So it's a significant issue. Um, in the U.S., over 200,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer in, in a typical year, and over 100,000 will die of lung cancer. So it's fairly common. Um, part of the issue, we think, is that in the past, lung cancer had sort of a stigma. People thought, well, you smoked, so it's your fault that you developed lung cancer. But now, <coughs> excuse me, we're seeing more and more lung cancers in people that never smoked or and never had any exposure that increased their risk of obtaining of developing lung cancer. So if it isn't smoking, what are some of the other causes? Well, the the number one risk factor is smoking still, but other common risk factors are genetics. There's a genetic predisposition to lung cancers, um, industrial exposures or smoke exposures. Um, but some people just develop lung cancer with no significant risk factor. Um, what's very interesting and exciting in the field of lung cancer is that we're learning more and more about these genetic abnormalities that lead to lung cancers. Um, different mutations in the cells that cause the cells to lose their control and then develop into uh, lung cancer. And with that, we now have therapies, immunologic therapies, where we're able to target those uh, mutations. And with that, we are getting better success, better outcomes with these patients uh, overall. It's not a chemotherapy. It's not the typical uh, blast the patient with toxins chemotherapy approach. It's now let's target the mutations. Let's target the genetic abnormalities that are leading to the lung cancer. So how are you determining that someone has lung cancer? Am I coming in with a certain set of symptoms? Am I getting a screening? So the difficulty with lung cancer is that tumors can grow in the lungs and can spread out of the lungs without any symptoms. Um, the lungs actually don't have pain fibers. So it's not like a typical cancer where you'll feel some discomfort and then go get it checked. Um, but there are some symptoms that are found. People will report shortness of breath. They'll report a, a, a persistent cough, sometimes even coughing up a little blood. But again, many of these symptoms are not severe enough that people will seek medical care. Uh, frequently, we'll find these patients because they have imaging of their chest for some other reason, whether they got in a car accident or, or, or whether they just had some pain in their, in their uh, chest for some other reason, they get a chest x-ray or a chest CT, and then we find the lesion. Are there screenings? I know you can get screened for breast cancer, that sort of thing. Can you do that with the lungs? Yeah, yes. So um, we, we uh, the medical community has tried various ways to screen for lung cancer. The issues with screening is, first of all, you have to be able to find a uh, tumor early enough to make a difference in the patient's outcome. Secondly, it has to be widely available because if it's something that's rare um, or difficult to obtain, then you can't deploy it on a population-wise uh, uh, level. Um, it has to be non-invasive enough so that you're not causing harm to patients. Um, typical examples is colonoscopy. It's invasive, but you only have to do it every 10 years versus 
screening for uh, uh, breast cancers, um, a mammogram you have to do every year, but it's not invasive. So we've been trying to find the right screening for lung cancers. They've looked at chest x-rays. Unfortunately, chest x-rays are cheap, easy, non-invasive. But by the time you see a lung cancer on chest x-ray, it's already expanded and you're not going to benefit the patient. Their outcome isn't going to be changed by finding that tumor. More recently, we've been looking at CAT scans, but widely deploying CAT scans would lead to a lot of people having unnecessary radiation exposure. So as they've looked, as the the, uh, scientific community has looked, we found a certain population does benefit from screening CT scans. Currently, the U.S. Preventative Task Force, the organization that makes the recommendations for screening, recommends that people with at least 30 pack years of smoking, meaning they smoked at least one pack a day for 30 years, who are between the ages of 55 and 80, uh, and have quit within the last 15 years should or are currently smoking should undergo a yearly uh, lung cancer screening CT. Huh, I had not heard that. That's really interesting. This this might seem like a very naive question, but are there different kinds or forms of lung cancer? There are several different forms. The, the most common one form of lung cancer is either adenocarcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma. These are different types of cell types, but there's rarer types of uh, lung cancers, anything from a carcinoid tumor, which uh, can be found either in the bowel or the lungs. Um, There's malignant mesothelioma, which is typically associated with asbestos exposure. And then there's rarer types of lung cancer that uh, we find. And are they all kind of similar survivability? Do they have different survivabilities? They all have very different survivabilities. Um, The carcinoid tumors usually do not, there's two types of carcinoids. There's a typical carcinoid and atypical carcinoid. Um, Carcinoid tumors, when they're typical, usually do not spread. They're not life-threatening. Usually we can remove them and the patient will do fine. Um, There's a type of lung cancer called small cell carcinoma that usually by the time we find it, it's already spread to other parts of the body. But that's usually fairly it's more responsive to chemotherapy. Uh, With our adenocarcinomas, we are finding the more of these genetic abnormalities, which we can target with the immunologic. So our success of treating these patients, our outcomes are improving overall. I would assume that regardless of what kind it is, the earlier the detection, the better. Is that correct? Absolutely. The earlier you can find a, a cancer, the the higher chance you're going to be able to treat it and, and either remove it because the best treatment for lung cancer is to remove it, it, to cut it out. And usually that consists of cutting out the entire lobe of the lung that the cancer is in. But once it spreads outside that lobe, then we're looking at whether it's chemotherapy or immunologic therapy and possibly radiation in order to try and treat it and and. Uh, push it into remission. Well, since you've kind of started us on that path, I was going to ask you what the different kinds of treatments are for lung cancer. Can you walk through some of those? Sure. So the best treatment, the one with the best outcome and survivability is resection. If you can discover the cancer and diagnose it when it's isolated into one part of the lung, you can cut out that part of the lung. Uh, And then depending upon its size and if any lymph nodes are involved, you might undergo, a patient might undergo um, chemotherapy or radiation afterwards. Um, Once it is not resectable, uh, 
then the treatments are usually either chemotherapy or with or without radiation. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have newer immunologics, newer, newer targeted therapy that we can treat uh, these lung cancers depending upon their genetic profile. And does your age or your existing health or any other conditions that you might have impact the choice of what type of treatment you would do? Absolutely. Every cancer, uh, part of the workup and decision tree to how to treat it is to evaluate the patient's uh, function. Uh, we have various scores that we can use to see how functional the individual is. If they're debilitated, then they're not going to tolerate chemotherapy because chemotherapy does take a lot out of a person's uh, a person's body. Um, they might not be if their lungs are damaged from smoking. They don't have uh, enough functional lung. They can't undergo a lung resection possibly. Um, additionally. Radiation might not be an option if they have significant lung damage from either smoking or other exposures. Well, I know that um, in preparing for this, I read that the the hospital you're working in does something called Monarch Platform for screening. For screening, what what does that mean? So the Monarch robotic platform is actually a bronchoscopy robot. Um, pre the, Prior to this, there was two main ways to do bronchoscopies. What bronchoscopies are, are procedures where we take a camera and go into the lungs. And with that, we can spray fluid and suck it back in order to obtain cultures or, or samples. We can put out tools to get biopsies, such as needles or little, what's called forceps, these little uh, pinchers that will uh, cut off or bite tissue. And then we also have devices such as brushes and other devices that we could use. So the two main ways that we could enter the lungs was either a flexible bronchoscopy, which most pulmonologists will do, that's taking a little flexible camera and going into the lungs, um, versus a rigid bronchoscopy, which is usually only specialized pulmonologists, what are called interventional pulmonologists will do. It's basically like a long metal tube that uh, that will go down into lungs. But with both of these procedures, you can really only get to the main airways, the trachea, which is your main airway going down to the right main stem, which feeds the goes into the right lung and the left main stem, and then to two or three generations past that. You really can't get that far into the lungs, partly because our uh, flexible bronchoscope was too flexible. It, was, it would be too floppy, so we couldn't control it way down into the lungs. Secondly, um, the number of airways grows exponentially. One airway becomes two, which becomes uh, four or five, that becomes 10 and so on and so forth. So trying to find your way through the lungs was difficult. We did have an uh, older device called a Super D, which helped with some of the navigation to get down into lungs and did add a little bit of more rigidity to get in, into lungs to try and get to those lesions, but it was somewhat limited. So th this year in March, uh, Mission Hospital obtained the Monarch robotic bronchoscopy system, which it's, first of all, a bronchoscopy. It has two sheaths. It's got an outer sheath, which is a little more firm and allows us to be able to use it as a fulcrum to get further out into the lungs and make turns that we wouldn't normally be able to make. And secondly, the platform uses a CT scanner to help guide us to the lesions so we can get to lesions in the periphery further out into the lungs that we were never able to do before. And with that, we can see the lesions. We're seeing parts of the lungs that we've never seen before, and we're able to biopsy them. 
So it sounds like it it makes life easier and a better experience. Is there any more risk to doing it with a robot than than yourself? Well, I guess you're still in charge, even if it is a robot, but. I, I'm still in charge. I'm still controlling the robot. We use a little controller that looks extremely similar to an Xbox controller in order to guide the robot and control the robot. Um, but the risk is the same risk as a standard bronchoscopy, which is minimal, but it, it, the risk of any complication is less than 1%, 1 to 2% with a bronchoscopy. Um, the other option for obtaining samples of these lesions would be what's called a transthoracic biopsy, where what that is is that an interventional radiologist would, under CT guidance, put a needle from the outside of the lungs in order to obtain tissue. Um, and that has a higher risk of pneumothorax. As you can imagine, putting a needle from the outside, you're going through lung, you can cause the lung to collapse. Um, the robotic bronchoscopy system allows us to get to these lesions with a lower risk of that pneumothorax. What a pneumothorax and, is, is, is the lung collapsing. <laughs> it's where the, the lung collapses because the lung actually sits in our chest under negative pressure. And so how we breathe is we stretch our muscles. We stretch our diaphragm and our chest muscles, which expand the chest, creating more negative pressure and that pulls the lungs open. And then to breathe out, you relax and the lungs snap back into place. Well, if your chest loses that negative pressure, then the lung has the potential to collapse. That sounds painful. It's definitely not comfortable. And the way that we have to treat that is to put a tube in your side to basically suck out that extra air in the chest and cause the lung to re-expand, which also okay. is not uh, that, comfortable. Yeah, that does not sound pleasant at all. So when you when you do the scans and, and you go in and you take a look at this, say you find a mass, is it like most likely that it's gonna be cancerous? Do you not know? Do you have to go do a biopsy, check it out? What What are the odds? So as we're doing more and more CT scans for various reasons, and as our CT scan resolution is getting higher and higher, we're finding many, many nodules. The vast majority of these nodules are um, either scars from previous infections. Um, there's a common infection around California called coccidiomycosis, also known as valley fever, typically found in desert areas um, that a person will feel like they just have a cold and really they have this fungal infection and it leaves these little nodules, what's called granulomas. Um, but we find many of these nodules. Uh, so we have a, a criteria that we use in order to evaluate these nodules called the Fleischner criteria that gets, gives us uh, some guidance on how to approach these nodules as we find them. And various aspects of the nodule will point it more towards being malignant, being cancer versus being benign. If it's a nice rounded nodule, maybe with calcium and it's under a certain size, then chances are it's benign. If it has something called speculations where it looks like the, the lesion is sort of growing out, it's growing uh, legs to invade other tissue, then that's more concerning uh, for it to be malignancy. So we, and then the size is a big determinant of how to approach these nodules. So based on the Fleischner criteria, sometimes we uh, pulmonologists will recommend repeating a CT scan anywhere from three months to a year later. Or if it's more concerning, he might do it more uh, at a shorter time frame. or the pulmonologist might go directly to biopsy, recommend biopsy or PET scanning. PET scanning is a scan where we take 
sugar and put radiation on it inject and inject it into the patient. So things that are growing will take up more sugar and will light up. So cancers are growing quickly. They usually will light up, but you have to take it with a, you have to review the scan knowing what you're doing because other things do grow. Like for instance, your heart's always uh, taking up sugar, your brain's always taking up sugar. So you have to know what you're looking for with these PET scans. Wow. Is there, are there other new technologies coming down? I mean, I know, I don't want to sound like I'm not impressed by the robot. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I feel like there's always a lot of research and everything going on in the cancer space. Is there anything new from lung cancer perspective? The, there's many new, uh, ideas that are, that, or, um, or technologies that are coming up, whether it's better bronchoscopes to be able to do different biopsies of different parts of the lungs. One thing that is being worked on, Johnson & Johnson is the company that makes, or that owns Aris, which Aris makes the Monarch robotic bronchoscopy system. They're trying to vertically integrate lung cancer, the meaning that they want to help treat these patients everywhere from diagnosis all the way through treatment. So one of the ideas that might that's actually already happening at, uh, at some uh, academic facilities is that a patient comes in, undergoes the robotic bronchoscopy, gets a biopsy, gets an immediate answer that you that they have lung cancer. And then while they're still in the same procedure, the they will inject chemotherapy directly into the tumor. The one thing that we are doing is that we will take these patient, the patients with lung cancer and we will mark the tumor to make it easier for the surgeons uh, to be able to find them during surgery and take out less lung so that they don't have to take out the entire lobe of the lungs. They might be able to take out a little bit less lung and then that leaves the patient with more lung uh, for the rest of their life. So it's a lower uh, morbidity. How much, I know this also might seem like a naive question, but I know we can live without, like we can have one kidney, we can have, is how much of our lung can we actually lose and still be functioning? Actually, you can lose one entire lung and still be functioning with just one lung. And some, and even if your lungs are healthy, you might be able to live with even less than that single lung. Um, usually when uh, we, we do a test called pulmonary function test, where we look at the size of lungs, and usually when a person's under a liter uh, uh, on their size of the lung, they're much more symptomatic. But you usually you can have one lung and be fine. And can you do lung transplants? Yes, absolutely. Lung transplants are happening usually at specialized centers, um, and usually for situations where uh, people have significant scarring of their lungs or severe emphysema. Um, it, but it's not done for lung cancer. Well, you, you mentioned earlier on, you know, we talked about smoking and then you talked a little bit about asbestos, which I would think has a lot to do with kind of maybe occupational, but you mentioned genetics. And I'm wondering if, if somebody in my family had lung cancer and wasn't a smoker, should I be worried? Like, is there some sort of like frequency to testing that I should get? So there's no recommendation as far as screening for those for patients who have the family history, but it is definitely a concern. Uh, when we have, when we diagnose a patient with lung cancer, we present them at our lung cancer board, which 
has various specialties that come together in a multidisciplinary approach to be able to make recommendations on how to treat these patients. This includes pulmonologists like myself, uh, oncologists, radiation oncologists, radiologists, interventional radiologists, thoracic surgeons, but we also include geneticists who will look at the patients and make recommendations of genetic counseling if they it's a high risk that this is a genetic tumor or could be passed along to other family members. So especially if a patient has multiple tumors and certain tumors, certain cancers have a genetic predisposition. If a patient, if a patient has two of them, then definitely they need that genetic counseling and the family members need to be uh, counseled about their risk. Well, while we're on the topic of families and, and even counseling, one of the things I love best about Providence is this whole person approach to care. So when you're treating somebody with lung cancer, talk to me about how you're dealing with them as a, a patient, not just of lung cancer, but them as a whole patient, their mental health, their family relationships. How are you handling that? Well, usually what uh, we'll, when we are approaching these patients, I'll try to involve the family in the decision if the family's available. Um, and then once we obtain that diagnosis, we have a, a navigator, a cancer navigator, who will help the family, guide them through the, um, the different pathways to make sure that they get the optimal treatment. They show up to their appointments, they get the scans. The pulmonary navigator is helping make sure that the patients get in to see their doctors as they need. The other aspect with our group, which is nice, is that I'm part of Mission Heritage Medical Group, which we're a group of over 100 physicians with various specialties. So we all share the same records. We all know each other. We have each other's cell phones. We we try to work together in order to make sure that the patients get the best treatment and the best outcome that we can get them. I love it. Well, when you are able to help somebody who's been struggling, who's had cancer, who's going through this, tell me what it means to you to be able to get somebody through to the other side. To be able to save a life is an amazing feeling. and. We, I am fortunate that I get to do it frequently, either through the, my critical care work or when we find we're able to diagnose a cancer early and get the patient to um, the oncologist where and make those decisions about how to approach these cancers. It, it's a level of satisfaction you you can't find hardly a, in any other aspect of life is to be able to help patients. That's why I went into medicine is to be able to help people. I've always loved it. I've always loved the science, but more important, it's being able to help the pe help people and help the families. I love it. Well, you can hear in your voice that you love your job. We're, we're pretty much out of time, so I'll just toss this one up to you right before we go, which is, you know, we're trying to highlight lung cancer awareness as much as we can. And you mentioned it's not as sexy. It doesn't get as much playtime. But is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners to know either about screening or treating lung cancer that we haven't already covered? I think the number one uh, th Im most important thing for individuals is if you're smoking, stop smoking, because that will vastly improve your chances. Even if you've already been diagnosed with lung cancer, it's been shown that if patients stop smoking after that diagnosis, they have a better outcome than if they continue smoking. And lung cancer, unfortunately, it, uh, like we mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, it's the biggest killer out there. Uh, the good news is it's starting to get some publicity. It's starting to get some press. There's more research ongoing, and hopefully the outcomes for these patients will continue to improve as we uh, discover new ways to treat lung cancer. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Goldberg, for all the work that you do and for joining us today on Let's Finish Cancer. We look forward to continuing the conversation on the whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, here at Providence, we see the life in you. Mm -hmm.